0: So it's a little late for Oktoberfest, but we're still going to get a little German today, uh, which is good because my sister lives in Germany and she can listen to this and hear how massively I fail through the course of this episode. So anyway, the sentence that you sent me this time around, I can at least get this one. It references a complete debacle um the sentence is a tale of two fire festival documentaries cheese sandwiches schadenfreude and Jaw rule just as a tiny bit of background the fire festival if you don't remember was this um, s- uh, supposed to be a music festival that a bunch of rich people paid to go to on some island i can't remember where and basically there ended up being no festival and they spent uh, some number of days in makeshift tents and ate cheese sandwiches, and everyone there was sad, uh, but everyone everywhere else uh, was really getting a kick out of it, which is where schadenfreude comes in. And of course, that is sort of taking pleasure in the misery of other people. I guess I wonder, first of all, if I hear a lot of people say schadenfreude as schadenfreude, and I'm wondering if you're okay with that, and then um, let's get into some more German, because we talk a lot about French and Latin and Greek, but English really has major ties to German
1: as well. Well, to start with the mispronunciation, one, I've got to say I sort of accept it because I always mispronounce it as schadenfreude. And I mean, technically, that's wrong. There should be the last duh. But I am one of the ones who thinks, you know, of Freud as in Freud the... Um, Freud the analyst, and I, I forget that there is a de, de, there.
2: Yeah, I actually said the same thing. I used to think it was schadenfreude, although I would never have used it in a sentence, in a spoken sentence. I might have used it in a written sentence, but I would never have pronounced it. And I have, had I pronounced it, I would have been wrong because it's schadenfreude. And I think it should be pronounced schadenfreude at this point.
0: Wait, so you've never used that term in, in a sentence? In a spoken sentence, I don't think I have. Oh, wow. Okay. Really?
1: That surprises me. It's such a fun word.
0: Maybe maybe Ross is just nicer than we are and doesn't actually <laughs> take pleasure in the misery of others. I use this term all the time.
1: I do too. <laughs> and I enjoyed it.
2: I, I should say it I, I should say it, and and recently I have been, but I don't recall ever having used it now. I'm very, that's interesting. I think it is probably the Latin Greek in me. I just don't, you know, I I stick to the Latinate words. I don't know. There actually was, though, interestingly enough, and Kath and I have talked about this, in the 1700s, uh, the term basically malicious pleasure and others misfortunes is not, a, there's not a single word in English that expresses that. And in the early 1700s, or mid to late 1700s, excuse me, there was a word from the Greek and... Um, <laughs> It is very hard to pronounce. Are you going
1: to pronounce it, Ross, for us? Or? It,
2: it would be epihiericakia. And um, they tried to make that into an English word, And which means literally it means uh, epi is on, uh, hierica would be uh, uh, rejoicing, hiero is rejoice, epichiero, and then um, kakos is bad. So it's the joy of someone else's badness or misfortune. And they tried to make that into this English word, epicaricacy. But I think Shatterfly has much more of a ring than epicaricacy. Doesn't it? Hurt? Well, it's also
1: a lot easier to say. <laughs> <laughs> you just see, I mean, it's spelled, the one Ross is talking about. I have it as I See, I, I'm Greek and I can't even pronounce it. And it's spelled E-P-I-C-H-A-R-I-K-A-K-Y. I mean, you're presented with that and you just give up, I think. Uh,
2: but although it was in uh, Nathan Bailey's A Universal Etymological English Dictionary of 17 Yeah, but no one was
1: using it. He might have put it in there. <laughs> I defy you to find any 1700s person who used it. And
2: and actually, I'll throw in another little bit of useless trivia. There's a famous book called *The Anatomy of Melancholy*. It's a real classic of uh, psychological literature. He used that word as well. However, it's over. We don't use, It was, found, although someone else found it in um, *Dictionary of English* from 1956. But I don't think that's really good. And then someone else found it used in *The Times* in May 2008, and in one novel. So we're done.
0: But so it's an idea that we've been obviously trying to get into the language for quite some time then.
1: Mm -hmm. Interestingly, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, we call these like the cool sounding German words that don't have a direct correlation in English. But the thing that we found in looking up like Schadenfreude is that other languages do have a one word uh, that means the same thing, which is odd that we're the only, we seem to be one of the few uh, common languages that doesn't have a single word meaning the same thing. I mean, because you've got, like, what? Um, well, we have phrases, too. I can't pronounce Danish. You've got a Danish, which is Skadefried, I guess. Dutch has Liedvermaak. Uh, Hebrew is simchala, and I can't pronounce. And then there's given up there. Croat, Russian. There. Yeah. What? else well, laughing at me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so they, these are all—they've all got words that mean basically this same thing: taking pleasure in in others' misfortune.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: That's interesting because because of course I mean w- many of us I would say are familiar with Schadenfreude but I think part of what we get excited about is that hey there's a word for it but it turns out there are, there are lots of words for it we just happen to use that one Exactly Exactly Well so why did that one catch on
2: I think there's something authoritative about German words we're going back to epicaricacy which is like a really annoying <laughs> confusing word whereas Schadenfreude has like a real ring to it and I think that because English has German a huge Germanic element in it, I think we kind of tend towards the authoritative when it comes to German. Would you guys agree
1: or not? It, it feels... I do. I actually do. Because it's fun to say... I mean, this sounds silly and I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplified, but I find saying German words a lot of fun. It's sort of like saying je ne sais quoi, like a French word. You get you get into it and it's got a power. I think it does have this like vroom, schadenfreude. You know what I mean? I mean, of course, I don't say it with that deep basso, profundo... I don't think. Um, sound. But yeah, I think you're right, Ross. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the German words definitely sound strong and powerful and and sometimes a bit much so. You know, I often probably you've made this joke as well t- thinking about German pillow talk. It just doesn't really seem to work.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's like, I, I have to, I'll do it really quickly but there's a terrible joke. My husband, who is of German background, always used to say, and it's about, you've got three guys and they're talking about butterflies and the Italian Oh, is it the Italian? Or the Spaniard says, ah, you know, mariposa. And the Frenchman goes, ah, papillon. It's so beautiful. And the German goes, and what is wrong with Schmetterling? And it's true. I mean, Schmetterling does not give you the feeling of a butterfly. So I think that being, you're right, pillow talk and and German, I don't know. Maybe you have to bring It's funny. I'm going to really
2: disagree with you guys (laughs) on that one. I had a a German friend who who said she taught her husband, who was a Brit, a British soldier, a German, uh, you know, doing uh, pillow talk, and she had a very soft sort of German accent. I thought it was really uh, sexy sounding to me. Really, I don't know if that maybe that means something about me than anyone else. But <laughs> I actually think the well, yeah, I don't I mean speak you
1: got Marlena Dietrich and all that. I yeah, guess. I don't yeah. speak. The I mean, light.
0: I I will admit to the fact that I have n- not experienced German pillow talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: I think it could be really sexy to me. I mean, that's just it depends, I guess on. Uh, what constitutes it
1: okay that means i have got to make randy talk to me in german no, <laughs> yeah, now. No, no, i'll no. report back i'll clean it up
0: <laughs> sure but the real thrust here is, is that is that german has a particular sound and it also has a particular way of being able to put words together to create separate words that have sort of a complex meaning
1: precisely It's, I mean, I always call it like German engineering applied to words, you know what I mean? Because it's exactly that, because they're so big on compound words. I mean, the old joke is, how do you play Scrabble in German, you know?
2: But to some degree, though, I mean, we do have, we do do that in English, too. And what interests me, for example, and I was just thinking about this last night, there's a word backwoods, which we all know, and that comes from the English. But a lot of times we use the German hinterland, behind land, which comes from the German, and English has a perfectly good glommed-on two words to mean something, and we yet we switched over to the German on that. German does do it, but I think English does too. I've, I think you hear
1: backwoods more often than hinterlands. I would, could you check that on Google... Um... I'm going to, because I, I would argue that you're, you're, no offense, but I think you're wrong. I, I, Oh, I I'm not saying we necessarily use one often. more than
2: the other, but the fact is we have a perfectly good word in English, and we use that, but we also use hinterland. We've taken both, is what I'm saying. Well,
1: we've done that with so many words, haven't we? I mean, we, have, we always talk about how we have the coexisting of the Norman and the Anglo-Saxon. Oh, precisely.
2: And... But I'm saying that a lot of times we ascribe the German ability to glom together words, whereas English has it too. That's what I'm
0: saying. Right, but we rarely have eight or 10 syllable words that that when you break them down are combinations of a bunch of other words that we use to mean something i mean i look i don't know i don't i know hardly any german which is ridiculous again since my sister lives there and i've visited her a couple of times i should really know some german but you know you do see those words that are that are a zillion letters long that That's are hard true. to pronounce and they they are combinations of smaller words so that so that you can create a, a different uh, idea or, or a more mm-hmm. com, a more complex idea. I mean that that seems to exist in German in a far greater capacity than it does in English. I
2: would I would agree with you on that. But I'm just all I'm really saying is that English certainly has the. a a very easy ability to do compound words as well that's all i'm really saying i agree german tends to be much more so than than english in that sense
1: i'm just going to jump in here with backwoods and hinterlands quickly since you had asked me about that Ross. i have that um hinterlands was was very rarely used until about nine. it really started going up in the 20s much higher in the 60s and now it and backwoods are almost even Um, whereas backwoods was way more popular initially uh, surged in the 1880s to the 19 or early 1900s and has come down since then. And now the two are, are pretty much even.
2: That's interesting, though. So we do that have a German me. word beginning to sort of e- take over
1: the uh, the English word. Yeah, so you might be right. I know. That's interesting. Yeah, that surprises me.
0: Yeah, me too. Definitely.
2: But anyway, going back to, I agree with you guys both, though, on that one, German does have a wonderful ability to sort of glom together words and to make a, a, a new meaning out of them. I definitely agree on that. Well,
1: which is why we have so many. I mean the one the, we had a bunch of other words obviously that are coming. Vschmertz uh, is the one that you hear more and more often, especially nowadays because it means literally world pain. And I think a lot of people have that. I mean that's another one because it's exactly th- the meaning and that's the beauty of a lot of these german words the meaning is in each of the words the combo right there i mean the definition is in the word
2: although but again we go back into into why these words take off like because world wariness which is the definition why do we prefer weltschmerz to world wariness i mean the world wariness conveys weltschmerz exactly and in a weird way, almost easier than, than the German because we don't have to define it in our heads. Yet Welchmerz mm-hmm. took off and we don't, I never
1: hear someone say, oh, I have world weariness. Although that's not technically, I mean, I'm going to be really nitpicky here. Technically, Welchmerz is not simply world weariness. It's, it's you feel sad or melancholy because you're comparing the ideal to what's actually going on. It's, so it's not just going, Ah, oh, the world is a pain. It's, there's like that sort of philosophical overtone. To okay, it.
2: you've answered my question. So we're saying world awareness, it, it, it incorporates a lot more than just just that simple term, which is therefore why it's more valuable as a single word, yes. Exactly,
1: of which I wasn't aware of. I mean, it started out, I mean, it was the word didn't come about until 1810. Um, a, a writer, I forget his name now, used it to describe Byron. Yes. Byron's attitude to, to, to the world. So, I mean, that's where you come. It, it's a very, it's very German in its precision. I go back to that. There's, there's a real super precision to it. Because it's not just like ennui or something.
2: That's interesting. I agree with you on that. that it was um, Johann Richter was the guy. Paul Friedrich oh, thank Richter. thank you. Yeah. But that's also interesting. Interesting enough, I mean, just we're going to do something interesting is that it's a German describing an Englishman's world wariness. So we have like the (laughs) English element in here from the beginning, which is interesting. So we can easily claim it as an English word now.
0: I want to take us slightly off track, uh, although really I'm just kind of pulling back to uh, a larger view on this. As Kathy gave a more, uh, I guess, nuanced definition of that word. And that is something that we kind of struggle with when we bring in foreign words in general is that we don't necessarily always get the nuance of the original word I think a lot about I watch a lot of foreign films and of course I rely on the subtitles and I always wonder what I'm actually missing because I'm not getting the real subtleties of the words and that's something that we have to deal with when when we're bringing in words like these especially words that are so precise like they are in German that's a good
2: point but the other thing might be also that we might change the word when it enters into English. So there might be a precise definition from the old German or from the German, but then as it gets into English, it might actually evolve. Moving to another word, which we we can go back, but um, there was a recent article on zeitgeist, which means spirit of the times. And the author was complaining because he was saying that the zeitgeist isn't just merely a, a, a generalized feeling of a spirit. It's, it's a defining spirit or mood of a period. And he was complaining because what's beginning to happen, he said, is it, it was in slate. He was talking about, um, how it was used to describe some uh, Lena Dunham's... Uh, oh, girls? Yeah, and he, he, she was hailed as a zeitgeist queen. He said, look, the word in German, it was It was actually Matthew Arnold coined the German word for uh, using the German word to describe uh, the spirit of social unrest that, quote, suffused Victorian England. It's a big deal, he said. Then he quotes Aldous Huckley saying the zeitgeist of the 1930s. Another big deal. Suddenly now, it seems that in modern English, it's become basically Kanye West the, talking about zeitgeist. So the word has evolved into something that means sort of like, yeah, it's a sort of fashion.
1: Well, well, I mean, I, yeah, well, Kim Kardashian, I did a search on zeitgeist and Kim Kardashian, I found is she's part of the fashion zeitgeist, pop culture zeitgeist, millennial zeitgeist, global cultural zeitgeist, or just plain old zeitgeist. So, I mean, if we're talking about Kim Kardashian and zeitgeist, I think we have lost some of the word, you know?
0: Okay, so basically we've got a word from German that came into English and over time uh, it, it developed its own definition. Related, but but a different definition. And so, essentially, we've, we've got two words. We've got the German word and we've got the English word. And they're, I mean, they're the same word, but they have different definitions now.
2: Well, I think we you could have, like, you had the macro zeitgeist, which is the German. And the modern way is a sort of a mini Zeitgeist, which can be you know applied See, to anything. Now,
1: I would argue that in German, it's also spread. Though I think that what we're just seeing is sort of a softening of the extremely precise. Meaning of the word, because I would argue, I'm, I guarantee, in Germany, I'm sure you would find articles that would talk about the zeitgeist in light of Kim Kardashian. That's I, interesting. Or the, or I'm the, now I'm going to look will. that up when we get up. <laughs> Let's see what Der Spiegel says.
2: <laughs> yeah, Der Spiegel. The other interesting thing is, I think that apropos of Kathy, there's a now of you know, the uh, well, we both were talking about how zeitgeist has gotten so small, we have an adjective. It's not in the English Oxford English Dictionary zeitgeisty that's a very zeitgeisty thing with the y at the end which i think is just i can't do it
1: i don't know i kind of like it it's kind of got vip you know what i mean (laughs) zeitgeisty i'll use it i have to say this though i'm i'm backtracking for a second to velchmers because i found this and i just loved it the problem we're talking about you know incorporating uh for loan words right and, and in the case of the German ones, they do sound sort of cool. And I think a lot of people use them when they're a little vague on them because they like how they sound. And I found a question on You Who Questions and it said, what does the German phrase schadenfreude Feldschmerz denote? <laughs> and a German speaker, bless his heart, answered and said, it is not used as a phrase here in Germany, especially because it makes not really sense.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Indeed.
1: I thought, Good for you.
0: <laughs>
1: Actually, I was going to throw
2: something else in. Speaking of um, words entering English and then being redefined, uh, there was an article talking about how schadenfreude has not only entered the English language, he mentioned uh, Andrew Sullivan invented the word Googlefreude. Which is defined as the pundits' past uh, pontifications on Google coming back to haunt them. Oh, that's good. So that was interesting. But then someone said Google Freud means Google Joy.
0: Yeah, that yeah. It's, <laughs> <and> that that <laughs> part that part doesn't exactly work. But I mean, we, we do that with words all the time, right? We, yeah. We... Yeah, but it but, should it be
2: shut in Google then? But that's actually interesting because that's really called. There's a linguistic term called cran morphing. Um, that some people use now, which basically it's uh, the idea comes from cranberry. The cran part of cranberry has nothing to do with berry. It, it's an old uh, Dutch word meaning cranberry. But we like we say cran apple now, for example, which gives us the idea of cranberry. And what we're doing is we just pull out parts of a word even and take away the old meaning and just.
0: It happens with scandals all the time, right? We, we put gate on the end of a word all the time now, even though Watergate was a hotel. Tell it wasn't related to water.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, maybe the cram warping isn't isn't a very good analogy for it, but that's what he uses the term. And I think it's it's really very valid. Like hamburger, for example, uh, you know, the burger part refers to being a you know a citizen of Hamburg, but we say like turkey burger. Mm-hmm. And I think we're doing that with Schadenfreude now. We have all sorts of Freudas.
0: Google Freud. That's is, I didn't know good. he
1: did. Now I'm going to like look for Freudas out there. I had no idea. I think using Freida works
0: better just f- for us understanding what these made up words would mean. Mm-hmm. I just feel I, yeah, I mean Google Freida means something more to me than Schaden Google.
1: I I, agree. I completely I was just agree cuz okay, except for the cran examples, okay, the gate is is a is a suffix. Is it usually a suffix when we when we do the new construct? Yeah. It, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think it's because just when you look at the word, the beginning is what you think of as the subject, if you will. You know, and it's like the the, the suffix then is modifying that. So, yeah. So doing Schaden, Google, yeah, you it, you have to think like three times before you get it.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. That's exactly right, mm-hmm. I think.
1: I would like to throw in, if I may, another – it's a German phrase that surprisingly <laughs> – Common when you do looks at like the Google Ngram viewer or iCorpus or any of those and it's I can't pronounce it. Well, this is where I, just, I get appalled Paul, uh, the German pronunciation, Storm und Drang. Oh,
0: right. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah.
1: Which is like much more common than you would think. And there's that is one where you have to say it in German. You have to say it with like, you know, punch, I think, in German to get the real feeling of it across. Yes. Um, it technically means um, storm and urge. I mean, that's exactly what it means. But it's generally now, again, we have this sort of softening. It um, now is usually used to mean turmoil or unrest. But I mean, it initially, here we go. It initially was a very specific, very precise term.
2: It's funny, though. I don't think that's, I think that to me, I would never use that in an open sentence, in a, in a spoken sentence. Would you guys? I just wouldn't. I wouldn't, but it's in a lot of prints.
0: Never, never, never in speech. But but I, I do I do see it in Print oh, I do often. too. It's a
2: Sturm und Drang sort of, uh, yeah. I'm saying it very Englishy, but it's a Sturm und Drang sort of situation in England right now. I, I think, yeah.
1: Well, I think the problem with saying it is, it's what I just said. It's it's one of those words that's difficult to say without sounding like you're doing a really bad fake German accent, like you're from a Nazi film or something. You know what I mean? I mean, you can't.
2: I'm not wild about using that word too much. Zeitgeist, I'm happy with. Velschmerz, I'm very happy with. And Schadenfreude, I'm very happy with too. Sturm und Drang is not on my list.
1: No, you can't really say it easily, but it's you. I mean, I'm just amazed at how common it is in writing.
2: <laughs> I'm going to throw out a German double word. I'm just curious if you guys know it. I learned this a long time ago when I was in Saudi Arabia going down a volcano with a bunch of uh, people who were roping down. It's called Abseil. Do you know that? You were,
0: I just, I got to go back to you going into a volcano in Saudi Arabia, learning a German word. Ross, that's amazing. I was with
2: a bunch of, uh, it was, I was with a bunch of uh, USGS, University of, of uh, uh, what do you call it? geological survey people, and there was an extinct volcano, and we drove to the edge of it, and they started roping down, and they said, do you want to come? So I did, which was stupid, but I did go down, but here's the, and it was, it was extinct. There was nothing in there, you know, just a. But here's the word, absail. Do you guys know it?
0: No, I don't. I don't even know how Can it, you spell it? I don't
2: even know what you're saying. A B S E I L.
0: Wow, no. It's and a German word. Never heard, word, that. Never
2: heard it, it in my life. The ab is going down, the sail is rope. It's repelling. But the oh, interesting wow. the interesting thing I've was like a lot that. of these guys even though they were with the USGS were Canadian or British and I looked it up, this 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 one years ago, and apparently like Brits and a lot of Canadians say abseil instead of repel. I have no so idea. So I would
1: be abseiling down a cliff face or yeah. something.
2: Yeah, and apparently he's using a rope with friction. The word fills me with panic because at one point I was on a cliff face and I thought, if I fall, I'm dead. So That word <laughs> stuck with me forever.
0: So uh, One thing before we go, we haven't talked a lot about pronunciation of german words which is maybe a whole other thing but i even though i try not to be too pedantic these days i want to get very pedantic for one second just so that all the people at the german restaurants and bars (laughs) here in the united states will stop (laughs) correcting me there's there's a german beer that's spelled h-o-f-b-r-a-u and it's got an umlaut over the a now, everybody seems to think this is supposed to be pronounced hofbrau, which is understandable, but that umlaut changes it, and it needs to be pronounced Hofbroy, an oi sound, and I just want to say that we've talked about muet before, it's not moe, it's muet, I just gotta say... People, it's <laughs> Hofbroy. Stop correcting me when I tell you what beer I want.
1: I, you've taught us something. I never knew that. Wow, I'm thrilled. <laughs> I'm with never this gonna order it. it now. Yes, I'm <laughs> now
2: gonna order. It's pretty good beer. Say it again, Fletcher, though, please. Hofbroy.
0: Hofbroy.
1: Hofbroy. Oh, good. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna try this next time tonight. I go to a, a
0: beer place. That sounds great. Yeah, the that, when, when, they, when they repeat it back to you, they'll say, okay, a uh, Hofbrow.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, okay, fine. That's fine. umlaut baby umlaut <laughs>
0: This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod or email me at Powell at KMUW.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts. The book You're Saying It Wrong was published by 10 Speed Press. And you can find that and Kathy and Ross Petras' newest book, That Doesn't Mean What You Think It Means, at your local independent bookstore. Kathy and Ross have written a lot more. They've got a number of other things either coming out soon or in the works. And you can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S dot com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks. Oh, and one more thing. We're not done with German, so I hope you find it as fascinating as we do. But just for today, I wanted to mention a couple German words I find pretty entertaining. They just have a special way about them, you know? These aren't the 40-letter words that mean like, Danube steamship company captain. Seriously, there's a word for that. These are a little more simple, although please forgive my dreadful pronunciation. I don't take pride in it, it's just like I said earlier, I don't really know any German. The first one isn't one of those weird concepts that we don't have a word for. It's just the word for turtle, but the word is Schildkrute, which means literally shield toad. Just one of those great examples of how German puts words together to make a more specific word shield toad. But getting to some of those more complex ideas, spec is grief bacon. That's when you stress eat, you know, like you're having a cruddy day and you stuff yourself full of ice cream. Maybe more specifically, it refers to the weight you gain from that. I'm not totally clear, but I'm into grief bacon. Kopfkino is a very cool word. It means head cinema. That's the mechanism by which you daydream, as if you're playing movies in your head. We've all met someone with a gesiegt. That's a slapable face or a face in need of a slap. I guess here I hear it more like that guy's got a punchable face. But of course the Germans have a word for it. And then finally, well, okay, this one has a curse word in it. So if you're sensitive to that kind of thing, go ahead and turn us off now since we're at the end of the podcast anyway. Okay, you're still here? Okay, the last one is Scheißfreundlichkeit, which means shit friendliness. You might guess this is when people are being fake-friendly around you. Maybe they're nice to your face, but you know they talk bad about you behind your back. Scheiß freundlichkeit But none of us would ever do that, right?